Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Pod save the queen! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen and this week it is raining. I've had coffee before lunchtime and I've had the gingerbread man so we'll see how this all goes with extra sugar and caffeine. I am your host Anne Gripper. I am joined once again by my good colleague and friend, Royal Editor Russell Myers of the Daily Mirror. Nice to see you again, Russell. Hello, how are you? All right, thank you. Are you a little sweaty? Well, for, for red men and coffee. I'm very jealous. I know it's 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 a good it's a good result on a Wednesday, but yeah, you have got to wear a sweater this week. Last week we were sitting here absolutely sweltering, um, although I did feel a little bit guilty when I heard from Alison in Texas and also Mal in Texas, who really kind of said like essentially you get a win, grip, win, wimpy break. Get a, it's a little get a bit, yeah, a little bit warm. So honestly, I'm to... super super jealous of the rain where I'm at here in Texas. It's 104 with a heat end index of 115. It's been a brutal summer, and then there was a there was a thing that came around this week of um, was it fifty nine in Death Valley or something? Just... One hundred and thirty degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know why I speak in Fahrenheit. I always do it, and it's very American, I think. Oh, you got American relatives. Well, I do, yeah, and I spent a lot of time over there as a kid. But I still, I, it's bizarre. Like, yeah, one hundred and thirty degrees. What was that? So hot and hot, sizzling, sizzling. I can't do it. I had when um, I had the message from Mal, I had to switch. To Google it, what's the Fahrenheit to, to Celsius thing? Um, and what is it Celsius? About 45, 50. Too hot. 50. Too, hot, too hot to handle, yeah. I'll stay at home. I'll stay at home. Um, also, a message from what Kate sees, uh, Kate with a C. Um, she says, Next time I say Russell records the podcast from his paddling pool, and I've well, got it for his American sensationalistic. Ne- Nickname, he can be ravishingly radiant Russell or magnanimously modest Myers. Oh, I love lots- it. Love them both. Why <laughs> not? There are lots and lots of smiling, emo- like <laughs> laughing, crying emojis in there. So I'm not quite sure how much coffee and Absolutely brilliant. Love it. Love yeah, it. Don't let your head get too big. We're still going to come up with our own one. And then. <laughs> Um, just before we dive into all the latest um, shenanigans in Royal Land, lots more fallout from Finding Freedom and lots more news of Meghan and Harry, actually. That's probably the main focus again for this week's episode, although there's some other bits and pieces to talk about, including those fab pictures of Princess Anne that were released for her birthday. Um, so I had a message from... Um, the Instagram fan who I like to call Unc94Gal, whose real name is actually Karen Fuller. And when I have time, I do go through and try to find people's real Instagram names rather than their handles. And she said, thanks, Anne, for reading my comment on the show this week. Made me giggle for you to read my Instagram name. UNC, not Unc. UNC is my alma <laughs> in the US, the University of North Carolina, and which I'm a very proud alumna. Maybe I need to see how it looks to others and not assume everyone knows it. The discussion the three of you all had on the book was terrific. The coverage here in the US, what there is of it, is falling to the point of uselessness. So there we go. And thank you, everybody, who has sent in messages and reviews um, of the book. There are so, so many of them. We will be including a few of them in this week's show that are kind of related to some of the things that we're going to be talking about. But I think probably we might do a special episode in a couple of weeks' time or in you know coming weeks quite soon where we really share lots of them because you have so many good thoughts. And I think it's fair to say there's a lot of you who are waiting for the book at the library. You're on the on the waiting list to get it from there rather than spending your own own pennies on it so maybe we'll have a few more reviews coming in so do just keep sending them because it's always so interesting to see your thoughts 
But this time last week, as well as being baking hot, uh, we had just heard that Meghan and Harry had bought their, their new base, their new house out in California. And uh, a very uh, modest abode. A ve- right. yeah. First time buyers. So I've had yeah. that cash ISA situation with the you got to dip into the bank of mum and dad, you know, you know, save up your pennies. So they've got a mortgage. Well, and the repayments are going to be large. They are pretty pricey. Something like £35,000, $50,000 a month for 30 years. I mean, it's pretty big, but it's uh, it's not small, is it, this gas? So, $14.7 million mansion. Mm. Um, it's got a library, a cinema, a spa, uh, a two-bed guest house, a tennis court, a swimming pool, nine bedrooms, and 16 bathrooms. I mean... Well, you, need, you need 16 bathrooms, though, to be fair. Well, you need, you, you, you need all of them. Russell, I think, is where, what you... <laughs> You've got a games room, a gym, of tennis courts, very nice, and a tea house. Oh, I quite like a tea house. That sounds very I know. nice. Yeah, it would be quite nice. I mean, it's, it's pretty nice, known as the Chateau, built in 2003, previously sold for $25 million in 2009. Oh, so it's but, a bargain. Well, it's, yeah, it's a knockdown price. This is it, yeah. Um, known, well, owned by a Russian tycoon called Sergei Greshkin, who is also the former owner of a different California estate, which was known as the Scarface Mansion, because it appeared in the 1983 Al Pacino movie. However, some eyebrows have been raised as to why they've been why they've got it at such a knockdown price. Well, are there any theories that we can talk about, or are those? Is yeah, just- I don't know. Probably, you know, there's a Russian tycoon. Maybe he's rich enough. Maybe he thought of doing them a favour. Housing market's a bit dodgy at the moment. Maybe I can get myself a, a knockdown. $14 million mansion if I choose to move. Well, don't move too far away, Russell. Um, is there anything else that we know about it? I know there, were, you know, there was uh, the real estate listing and things that were getting a little bit. Well, I will have a bit of a, uh, a Modest Myers moment here because <laughs> back in March, it, I revealed that they were actively looking in Montecito. And everyone scoffed at it at the time because they'd only just moved to Canada and the source at the time said that they, you know, that they had thought about moving to Toronto, um, but it wasn't really that serious. But they were act- active, actively looking in Montecito, which is obviously like the the multi-millionaires, billionaires playground uh, place near Santa Barbara. Very, very nice uh, neighbourhood, gated neighbourhood. Celebrity neighbours like Oprah Winfrey, Ellen DeGeneres. Um, lots and lots of famous people live there. It's known for its privacy uh, because obviously it's a huge, huge sort of estate and gated mansions. And uh, nobody took it seriously at the time. And lo and behold, we have been through correctly. So you heard it here first. Modest Myers. Modest Myers <laughs> was right. Well done. Well, no, it is it's a great story. And it's like one of our listeners did write in and um, used to live in Santa Barbara for a long, long time and then moved away a few years ago. And it sounds like a thoroughly nice place. So rather than try to talk about it, I'm just going to read. Um, so it's a couple of emails that I had had through and our listener would prefer to remain anonymous that is obviously totally fine so you know any of you listening if ever you do want to share your comments but not your name just let me know when you send your message through i'm more than happy to keep your name between us and share your thoughts with the world if um if it fits into one of our shows so here is what our listener says as far as Montecito goes, that city borders Santa Barbara and it's very wealthy. Everyone knows that but respects the privacy of the locals. My experience is people in Santa Barbara are generally good natured and well off. It's very expensive to live there, but it's a fun town that is very health conscious. Bike paths and gorgeous beaches, mountains and hiking. Santa Barbara Film Festival is very big and new. Santa Barbara has a zoo, well that would be good for Archie, a museum, countless wineries, a great science centre and of course there's the Santa Barbara Mission. The neighbourhoods, depending on where you live, are very nice. Everyone knows one another and many families have lived there for generations. There's a lot that goes on. Oh and there's Fiesta every August and the summer solstice parades which are in the same spirit as Mardi Gras. It's a wonderful city. I'm not surprised that Harry and Meghan moved to Montecito. It's gorgeous and as close as you'll get away from the crazy of the cement Los Angeles area. People will be very closed up about speaking to anyone with the press. 
locals do not like the press bothering the residents and will let you know they're not wanted in order to protect their privacy. I've experienced it. It's just the way it works there. You have apologies in advance if I get the pronunciation of any of these places wrong. You have Santa Ines Valley, Los Los Olivos wine country, which are north of Santa Barbara. And you can get there on what we call the pass. They're also very exclusive, but not exactly the same. Celebrities with huge properties and some with horse farms and ranches. Also the Chumash Casino, which has caused the wealthier landowners to clash with Chumash Indian tribe. Um, coming into Santa Barbara, you'll pass some beautiful towns, La Conchita, not a wealthy area as desirable, Carpinteria, known as Carp, Toro Canyon, SB Polo Club is there. I can imagine Harry and Meghan heading down there at some stage, and Summerlands. After that, you'll come into Montecito and Santa Barbara and Galeta. Unfortunately, the generations of families that settled and born and raised in Santa Barbara can no longer t- afford to live there. The value of properties that cost $50,000 to build in the 60s on a handshake those same homes are valued up to a million or more and unless they inherit family property, they are out. It's a sad fact. California is a beautiful place to live and Santa Barbara is a nice 75 degrees almost all summer. I apologize to our good friends in Texas sharing that information with you right now. Uh, you don't need an air conditioner to live there comfortably. Oh yes, there's also Gaviota. It's a bit north of Galeta. Very exclusive private beaches and surfers love it there. Unfortunately, unless you're a landowner, you may not surf there. They have to enter from the public beach and boat or jet ski in. There are beautiful beaches down the entire coast there where no one really knows how wonderful they are. Lots of glamping and great music. Santa Barbara is also home to UCSB, University of California, Santa Barbara, which I'm sure if I saw it in Instagram, I'd probably try to call it Uxby or something. Um, It's in Isla Vista and also the Santa Barbara Community College right on the ocean. Well, I mean, I've got no idea why Harry and Meghan might want to live there. It sounds absolutely terrible. Yeah, I mean, it sounds pretty rubbish. There's nothing there. <laughs> uh, listen, I mean, I, I, I'm a bit ambivalent here. Listen, they're both they're both multimillionaires. They can live where they like. They've obviously got. I from what I hear is Harry wasn't necessarily enjoying LA. It was sort of plonked there, fish out of water, not living in your own home. Everybody can sympathise with that, like if you've ever stayed with friends or whatever, if, you've just, if you're just you in between houses. Um, they were being criticised for how, how big this house was and the fact that they were being loaned it. It wasn't very private. So now they've obviously moved to, uh, to, a, to a place of their own. However, I will play devil's advocate here, and there are certain issues at play. Not only are we talking about the the money that this is going to cost them to upkeep. Like we're talking $480,000 a year for their mortgage, property tax, $68,000, staff, $300,000 a year, utilities, about 25 grand a year. Security is knocking on millions. This is talking about, you know, a bill of upwards of $5 million, pounds, whatever you want to call it, is going to be a big bill indeed. Now, again, this it's their money they're fabulously wealthy why should we be bothered now, the reason people are bothered here is because they still haven't paid back the two and a half million pounds that they took off the taxpayer to build or to renovate frogmore cottage and part of the exit deal uh was that they had agreed to pay it back and we still don't know it's still shrouded in secrecy about whether they have made arrangements to pay that money back what sort of a deal they are paying. It was rumoured to be about £30,000 a month upkeep of Frogmore Cottage. They had agreed to pay the market rent on the property. So, again, I I do think that people are rightly um, allowed to be interested in this and and allowed to ask questions. And you can bet your bottom dollar that people in the palace are getting a little bit nervous about this because what it means is that the nervousness that had uh, previously existed about what sort of corporate deals they would be doing, what sort of sponsorships, what sort of uh, tie-ins they would have with big brands in order to earn money to facilitate this fabulously uh, exclusive lifestyle that they've created for themselves, that nervousness is very, very real indeed. Now, the fact is, as we have spoken about before, that the coronavirus crisis has put a a pin in their balloon of dreams at the moment and that they can't move forward with anything, that they have obviously been popping up on the Zoom call. We've seen them speaking about civil rights and what have you. Well, that isn't going to bring the cold, hard cash in that they need to 
they need to live. And certainly if you've got a mortgage that's knocking on about sort of $8 million, well, that needs to be paid. And obviously they do have a few million in the bank, but they are going to earn, have to earn a living and to seek this financial freedom that they kept speaking about. Now, who knows what the next year is going to look like? Um, but it is very real about these sort of, you know, we were talking about the fact that they were going to do corporate engagements and these speaking engagements that were going to net them hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for each speech. Well, there ain't none of them happening at the moment. So the issue is, where are they going to start earning money? And, it, and would they ever get to a situation where their resources are dwindling, Prince, Prince Charles stops funding them in about, a, well, six months' time, a year, and then they actually have to keep keep signing, um, you know, e- e- endorsement deals and sponsorship deals to actually stay afloat. And what does that mean for the actual royal brand? So, it's probably opened up more questions than it has settled them at the moment. And these are discussions that will be uh, taking place in the palace as um, as this carries on. No, it'll be interesting to see how they get on. I was just thinking when we were talking about, you know, where where you end up living. There's, there's always different factors in it for some people it's because they want to be near family because some people they like a particular they've got a particular interest for me you know I, I come to London because that's where my my work is and fortunately the man I fell in love with when he was living in Wales he also needed to get to London to to work here and that was where his career path was but if you're people like Harry and Meghan and they don't quite know what that career path is and you know the yes you can be near Megan's family but you're far away from the other family the different pressures that you're trying to weigh up where to be based and then it's all you know added complications of money and tax and all of those things it's it can be quite difficult when I mean the world is a big place if you're going to choose to live anywhere I mean, listen, they're, they're living in a place where Megan is obviously very comfortable. She did an interview with the, nine, I think it's the 19th, this online magazine that during the week that she was uh, she was interviewed and, and, and fair play. She said, you know, it's great to be home. And I'm sure she's you know, she's a, an American girl, California girl. She said that in the past, that she's, uh, um, she's very proud of her roots. And now she's sort of moved up a few notches on the ladder since she was, um, since she was, previously living in California. Um, and nobody should begrudge them to wanting to live in a nice, safe home. None of our business, whether it's, uh, you know, got 16 bathrooms or a bathroom outside or whatever. Um, I just think that there are questions that are, you know, reasonably asked about where they're going to earn their money. Um, what that means for their associations back in the UK. You spoke about the tax arrangements. Well, that is very interesting because if they spend 183 days of the year in the US, then all of their tax affairs will be uh, will need to be go through, but through the IRS in the states, and that poses a particular problem for the royal family as well because their tax affairs are very very closely guarded. I mean, there's there's certain issues where we sit down once a year with the uh, with the palaces and we talk about that the way the money has been distributed from the sovereign grant or how much. Um, you know, Prince Charles is giving the Cambridges or the Sussexes, Well, we're certainly not allowed to know about his duchy money because that's personal income. And that as you know, the Queen's tax affairs has always been closely guarded as well. But we only get to know sort of how much they're taking from the government or how much the government is earning from them. But if Harry is entering into these deals with, who knows, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Coca-Cola, whatever, Ralph Lauren, and then he is subject to putting in a tax return in the US, well, there may be pressure for him to either reveal those tax returns, somebody might get hold of them. I imagine they will come out in some direction, somewhere down the line, and that again could be fairly embarrassing if, uh, for instance, you know, Prince Charles is funding him over the over the 12 month period that was privately agreed. What does that mean? I mean, I could go on and on and on. And this, I just think there is a level of nervousness that uh, that the royal family would have probably hoped would have gone away without the attention of one living in the state tax affairs and two living in a huge mansion. You mentioned Meghan's um, interview with the nineteenth, and I just saw I, I saw you retweeting it that someone had spotted in the Daily Star Sunday, which is one of the 
tabloid newspapers over here, although not one that was on Meghan and Harry's we're not we're not talking to them list, which meant that I think the Daily Star at the time said that uh, they had a cheeky they're they're a cheeky um they're a cheeky title. They're one of our sister papers. Um so they at the time they kind of ran a story about how they're Meghan and Harry's favourite tabloid, which apparently sparked some of some amusement and um, you know sort of nice nice message from the from the Sussex crowd. Anyway, the star on Sunday this week they did that thing where they sort of anonymized this person who was hitting out in the media and put like a funny little face mask over Megan and you know and, and someone posing the question like is that how is that how the media should deal with it now because mm. they don't want it is they're, they're walking a fine line between wanting media coverage for the stuff that they want to have the media coverage for versus not wanting the media coverage for other things and then there was some, the, the negative story that's come out over the last week is how you know it started off as a good thing phoning somebody to say well done for raising some money but actually the person that they were phoning it turned out that there was a whole other sort of hinterland of issues and i know that this is something that a lot of people in the sort of royal social media circle of fandom have been very exercised about because our twitter mentions went absolutely mad for it when it kicked off so well, on those two points, I'm just going to read the article, actually, because I think it is really funny. And I don't I doubt a lot of us, sort of our global listeners, would have read it. Now, the, 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 uh, the, the headline on the story is US actress rages over toxic media. And it has a sort of black bar across Meghan's uh, eyes for sort of um, censorship effect. It says American actress has branded the media toxic. The woman said she was thought news reporting was often salacious. This year, she moved from England to Showbiz Haven, Los Angeles, with her millionaire husband and one-year-old son to escape the limelight. And it goes on and on and on, talking about how, uh, you know, that uh, she said there is so much toxicity out there. So if you're just trying to grab someone's attention, you're going for something salacious versus truthful. And I thought it was a, a pretty funny dig. It got a lot of likes, a lot of retweets. People are, it's a different funny take on it, isn't it? Um, and perhaps that's what we should be doing. That's I don't I don't think that's what they necessarily want, but I don't think they, they particularly know what they want at the moment. I mean, and then the other thing you're talking about is this story that's emerged over the week, which was um, it looks like they've got their fingers burnt with this, and, and we'd noticed this um, becoming an issue on 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 Twitter. There's a lot of people sort of mentioning it, and and that's why we obviously did the story. And it was um, uh, uh, Meghan and Harry. Phoned a, phoned a fan connected to a Twitter account that had posted vile abuse about Kate, Wills and the royal family to thank her for her enthusiastic support. Now, this evolves from uh, two individuals on Twitter who had done a hashtag. Uh, I can't remember what the hashtag now was. I'll find it in a minute. But the uh, part of the Sussex squad, taught that they raised £45,000 for charities, which was part of CAMFED, which is an amazing organization um about africa you know about education in africa however it then transpired that at least one of these people had been putting on the most vile sort of um misogynistic uh racist abuse some of this stuff and i and i thought that um the fact that it wasn't picked up by you know harry and megan's team when it was sort of being banded around twitter and everybody was talking about it even before we did it as a story um shows you that you know, who's running their sort of social media teams or who's, who are they even speaking with? I know that they haven't got a social media presence at the moment, but they certainly do have a team. And if they're working with people like Sunshine Sachs or even their team in the UK, surely somebody should have um, recognised that this sort of awful rhetoric was, uh, was being banded around. We should also say that I think um, it was mentioned that they are one of the people who has access to the account. So it may not have been them that posted the specific messages, but they were somebody who was associated with that account. And I, I know, and this is, in fact, this is an episode that I've been wanting to do for a while and I will, I will revisit it and try and try and get the guests on that I want, which is how the, you know, the, the social media side of things has been so awful in a lot of ways because I, I know when we started when we started doing this going into royal twitter land was like a happy shiny magical place where everybody just thought oh this is brilliant and it's exciting and i i'm not quite sure what the point was where the the two sides just started not obviously not everybody so i'm gonna say so I, I was gonna ask you i was gonna ask you when do sides. you sorry when do you think it changed so i've been doing this about two and a half years right and when i came into it 
I immediately saw that it was a very polarised um, arena, that there were certain Royal fans who are really great to interact with. And I've spoken about, I've spoken to Royal colleagues who have done this job for a decade or longer. You know, the Royal reporters that we speak about, we've had on the show that I'm sure a lot of our listeners will, will know who are my colleagues. Um, but immediately I'd seen within that period of time that even, even before Harry and Meghan, I suppose I joined when Harry and Meghan were getting together and I just saw it so polarised. I, 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 you know, I found it quite worrying and, and difficult to engage with in the, in, in the first instance. But, but you've obviously been doing the podcast a lot longer and, and, and been a, yes. a royal fan. We started the podcast sort of November, December before they got married, just around when they got engaged, really. And 2018. You know, yeah, so oh, no. it was, that, it was no. that time of like... 2017 2017 2017. so it's like optimism and excitement and everybody excited for the wedding and you obviously started just after the wedding although possibly didn't really get sort of super stuck in until September probably um because no no, I'd say say about this time I'd say about you I took I took this job in uh basically on the wedding day that's when I started Mm. this job really just after so so in that summer I was sort of getting involved in sort of the raw Twitter land and already I could see it was very, very polarised. I mean, it may, it may be that because I was already in it and was seeing the good things, it can sometimes take a while to notice that the, the, the kind of the makeup of it is changing. But I think it, I don't know whether it was um, when the household split or whether it was before that when you sort of started getting the the chitter chatter of of stuff about that you know that, that everything wasn't right so you know Christmas it was all still very much the fab four and the excitement um and I don't I think I think it was probably that spring after the wedding probably when it started to unravel in every mm. in every respect and the kind of the, the honeymoon period if you like was over but we'll like i said we'll we'll um we'll go back and i will i will rustle up some guests hopefully and we can we can talk a little bit about that because there's some good campaigns going on around about doing positive things and listeners if you've noticed that sort of change and have had personal experience of it and would be interested in talking about it or just sharing your comments then message us at podsave on instagram or twitter or podsavequeen at trinitymirror.com on email or you can always message russell or i individually as well you'd be very welcome to do that and also a shout out to you know there were certain individuals who who got in touch and told me about this this issue that was on uh you know happening in the sort of Twitter sphere. So if ever you want to contact me anonymously, my email and DMs are always open. So, um, you know, this is something sometimes we want to, we, we can help out with in terms of taking a look at or raising, uh, sort of shining a light on. So you can, you can always contact us. Yeah, Russell is always keen for a hot tip of stuff to look at that will make some make a good story and hopefully either shed some light on things or improve our understanding of what's going on or maybe sometimes change things. So Finding Freedom is at number one in the UK charts. They have shifted a lot of copies. Um, once again, thanks for has been sending their, um, their comments through. Obviously, the fallout is still sort of ongoing as well Russell so what's the kind of what's been the latest royal reaction and well okay so I mean I've read the book um it's it's first and foremost and you know it's a it's a it is an achievement to have got this book to press because I know that the authors were struggling with it for a couple of years um that there were obviously lots of things that were happening in that time it was potentially going to um, come after the wedding or, you know, certainly then after the, the tour in South Africa, then it got delayed and delayed again. And I'm sure that there was always wranglings with these sorts of things. So listen, it's opened up a massive conversation. I don't necessarily think it's um, blown the lid off of anything. It's if anything, I think I said this last week, it's confirmed an awful lot of the stories that we've, uh, that we've read before, whether that's in the tabloids or the broadsheets or certain, um, 
sections of the media that, that Harry and Meghan did have an issue with. And I think that that tells you something about where their head was at. And they certainly weren't getting uh, what they wanted within the palace. And so they were therefore stamping their feet. And that comes across very, very clearly in the book. Um, you know, the, 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 the description of this book of being one-sided is, you know, there for, to be discussed. Um, but I, I think, think that... I think what you get with the fact, the fact or the, the feeling that the book is so one-sided is that you have had all of these little bits and pieces of the royal family having their side of the say on things and maybe pushing back on some of the comments that are that are, have been reported in the book as being this was the situation and them saying well not exactly actually yeah well, that's not our understanding of it well and, and of course at the end of the day this is this is how it works doesn't it that, that a biography comes out and that is a version of events that's uh, an individual's way of getting their side of the story about uh, out there so what, there's a couple so that, of bits particularly yes, that you've looked I mean, at. Yeah, there is recently. I think the, the last, you know, just in the last few days, we've sort of had um, you know, sources from the Sussexes even denying that Prince Harry sort of shouted at the Queen in this tiara gate uh, outburst, which is quite interesting because uh, even if the Sussexes are rallying against some of the stuff in the books, that shows you potentially that it's become this sort of runaway train that nobody can... Uh, that nobody can sort of uh, take control of at the moment. And um, I know that the, the the authors have been giving interviews to certain sections of the media and they've maybe sort of um, fanning the flames of it almost. And that's why certain things have um, have come out there that, you know, Harry was ringing the Queen and saying, what the hell is going on when speaking about Angela Kelly and the fact that she wasn't facilitating uh, a meeting with um, Megan over Tiara Gate. Um, I think the only story that is being disputed in the book is whether that, that um, Megan made Kate cry. And I think that when when you look at all of the stories that there have, have been proved true, that that, um, that that gives you sort of quite a lot of food for thought and, and, and again, sort of tells you about the pressure that they were under. One of the things that I've sort of, uh, revealed over the last, uh, well, today, over the last 24 hours, speaking to multiple sources. And we, you know, we took a, we took a week to actually bed down into this because we wanted to be absolutely sure because the book was talking about the hot and cold relationship between the boy, William Harry, and, and Prince Charles, that Prince Charles was almost labelled obsessed with his own personal image, that he needed to have a great result, um, a great relationship with the press, that uh, one of the authors, um, Omi Scobie had said this week that um, Harry, uh, that Charles privately supported Harry and Meghan's uh, decision to sue the Mail on Sunday and associated newspapers, but therefore couldn't be seen to be publicly supporting them because he was more concerned with his relationship with the press and his public image. Now, you know, after speaking to multiple sources on this, it is absolutely being categorically denied. And I think that that's very, very interesting, the fact that he is rubbish rubbish these rumors of a relationship breakdown with his sons William and Harry I think that certainly the people that I was speaking to were saying they don't recognize this truth that um you know potentially it's they've uh, they've they've had fossey relationships in the past but realistically their, their relationships are, are, are very very good at the moment and perhaps better than ever that William's been able to have um a very close relationship with his father throughout coronavirus obviously Charles was quite ill then they were coming together to make sure that the royal family was sort of front and center in the Zoom world. Um, Harry has been making regular calls to his dad, telling them about his moves. He was obviously very, um, very concerned with him when he was uh, when he was ill, and um, and people were calling this sort of complete nonsense and even poppycock. That's a word for you that you probably don't hear every day, but it's uh, it just, very it retro. just tells, yeah, very retro. And it sort of tells you that people are in Charles's camp have been quite upset i would say about this notion that um you know charles is only in it for himself he doesn't really care about his relationship with the boys and um and that is certainly not a reality that they uh the people close to charles recognize i'll just um share a comment from suzanne sykes who got in touch on instagram which kind of relates to this i think it's that idea of things 
you know, private issues playing out publicly and tit for tat and that kind of thing. So Suzanne says, love the pod, first time commenter. So welcome, Suzanne. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. One part of Finding Freedom that has really stayed with me when Harry speaks about his relationship with William to the press in South Africa and then William responds in the press. And then Harry is upset that William responded to the press instead of coming to him directly to repair the relationship. I'm sure the same could be said by William. After all, Harry is the one who started the conversation in the press in the first place. It seems to me like this entire situation is the quintessential meaning of, quote, two sides to every story. And I just I, I just thought that was like, you know, I just thought that really kind of rang rang true and obviously, mm. obviously as journalists we love we we love to get the stories and have it all play have it all play out publicly but when you know thinking about as we have often done throughout this whole situation you know of harry and megan being unhappy and or their decision to leave of the tensions within family and the impact of all of this stuff on family relationships and how you treat each other and that it's added complications because these aren't just family relationships there's a degree of like business relationships as well they are the firm they are you know they are the royal family they are father and son but they're also king and future king and future king's brother so it's all is all complicated and it can get so very very messy so easily well i think somebody summed it up very well last week i can't remember who it was but you know saying that the queen is just not the head of the monarchy she's head of the firm she's the ceo of the whole institution, whether that's the monarchy or the family business. And and I just, the, the feeling is that none of this should have been aired in public and it should have been kept in-house. Um, and at the very least, it shows you that the, what Meghan and Harry are thinking that it's them against the world. And I think the sentiment is from everybody involved is that they, um, they do find this solace that they're looking for. Um, however, I mean, as we said at the top of the show, I, do, I, I think they're opening a can of worms by taking on such big financial responsibilities that is no doubt going to heap such pressure on them to um, whether, you know, coming up with new ventures and what that's going to look. Nobody look, knows what the next few months look like. And if you've been a year out of work, no matter if you've got a few million in the bank, if you're spending it faster than you can earn it, that is going to open up a whole different kind of worms. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot of pressure. I mean, I guess the flip side of that and the counter argument would be that Harry and Meghan always felt that their side wasn't getting put, that it was all, you know, focused via the Kensington Palace team, which had the Cambridges as a priority, partly because of like long standing and partly because of hierarchy or whatever, whatever the reasons might be, but that it was, you know, it was always anti like the, the coverage was anti Harry and Meghan and there wasn't enough pushback on their side of the story. So that it's come out all in, all in one go saying all of the things they'd wish they could say over the last two and a half years, but kept their counsel on, if you like. Well, some of the, some of the reactions to it. And I think that, um, you know, I've, I've enjoyed some reading some of the reviews and one of the reviews in the Telegraph, which is classed as one of the in quotes, friendly press, certainly the ones that they will uh, deal with. They like to deal with. And uh, one of their journalists, Harry Mount, read, uh, wrote rather that it was one big monothon, and he, he did qualify that by saying, you know, it makes it no less interesting. It's actually fascinating to read. But what was interesting is that he just he says this just reads as two fabulously wealthy and privileged people who stamped their feet and threw their toys out the pram when they didn't get what they wanted, and that, I'm afraid, doesn't make them very attractive people. And I think that that is uh maybe maybe the issue here that they didn't get what they wanted they didn't like uh didn't like the way that things were working but they you know i i think it's very very much up for debate that they uh, that they haven't gone a, 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 about their business in a, in the, the the way that they should have done and it could have been so much easier for them as megan said herself when she hugged omid scoby one of the authors he said that she hugged him on the last engagement said it didn't need to be with this way and i'm sure that is a sentiment that everybody would agree with yeah, absolutely. Um, one final thought from a listener, Bridget Reyes. I should probably have read it just a moment before, but I will include it because I think it's important to get a listener with a 
differing view from ours um, into into the show. So Bridget says, about the Finding Freedom book review, listening to your podcast, I get the sense that Meghan and Harry aren't allowed feelings or their own truth. You only, only look at situations in defense of William and Charles instead of seeing it from their point of view. It's funny how you call... Um, Mid, oh, Omid and Harry and Meghan liars for saying they didn't co- cooperate with the book but you take as gospel what other books wrote about them about the friend's description of Meghan they are American and that's how we talk we accept the way you talk so do the same for us instead of saying that's a lie when people speak that way I find you all one-sided and I would challenge you to say something anything nice about Meghan she's not perfect neither is Kate but she's not the devil either um, so Bridget I'm sorry like if you think we we do, we do try to put both sides of the argument and I, you know, we try and play the advocate. In fairness, and- I'm going to say, I've always said how impressive Megan is. I've always said when I've been in her company, I am absolutely in awe of her ability as an orator. I think she absolutely captivates an audience. I've always said that she could, I've gone on to do some amazing, amazing things, but the realities are there about, um, about how they've gone about their business. And, and the, the fact that, their, their staff were leaving them hand over fist and weren't happy about working for them. They are the realities, I'm afraid. And uh, and, and and I suppose we'll see in the future, won't we, about how, what sort of staff that they take on and whether they leave them as quickly as they did when they were in the royal household. Time will all tell. But, you know, Bridget, thank you for sharing your thoughts. And, you know, we do, we do try to give both sides of things, play devil's advocate and talk about things from both point of view points of view but ultimately Russell and I we also have our own opinions which we are not we're not afraid to share those sometimes and we do enjoy having a right old natter and um, lovely listeners thank you for allowing us to do that and hopefully enjoying it and sharing your thoughts as well because they add so much to the show right that's enough of uh, the Sussexes, I think, for this week. There's a little bit more um, that we should catch up on. Um, I would like to talk, first of all, to just talk about those Princess Anne pictures that came out for her birthday. I just thought they were absolutely super glam and really lovely. Um, Sam Tao wrote on, wrote on, she's a big fan of the red lipstick on the, uh, you know, the glamorous evening gown where Anne's sitting there in, in the, you know, on the chair looking dressed up for a nice the hour. one in the chair very nice i, I mean yeah, I, these are great can i just say on behalf of everybody if i look half that good at 70 i will be very very happy with life i mean i think she's just I look half that good at 40 i think i'll be doing well with that. <laughs> no she's just look incredible and i think there is something about like when women wear a white dress like fine normally you will wear it on you might wear it on your wedding day and it is that it's a, it's a special day and it's but if you wear it on another day and you're wearing white particularly for like a glam thing and a long dress like it's that feeling of luxury because you're not going to be you know you're not going to be going trekking through the mud to get there in the rain um you're going to be delivered door to door um you know it's going to be a glamorous event and if it gets if it gets dirty never mind it can be cleaned this is fine i've got people who can deal with this stuff and it is just i don't know there's something about white that just gives that sense of luxury and special and maybe i'll start wearing a white suit like oh miami vice when we're back in the office <laughs> in the depths of winter oh lordy Lord. yeah well that's the other thing white can be you know holidays and hot weather um is uh, is the other thing associated with i just i just thought she looked absolutely incredible in that picture but you i felt you got really sort of three different senses of her as a personality in those three images um, the sort of the emerald green suit would look really smart and a bit special, but also quite businesslike. It felt like it, it could have gone to a lot of, of different jobs, basically. But then also just seeing her in out in the countryside, you know, looking like a country country gal, farmer type type lady, royal one at that. But it just you could just imagine. Actually, this is her habitat, and she's probably like got dogs and horses running all over the place. Um, shout out to Australian Women's Weekly and Hugo Bernand as well. Actually, who did some fab pictures including the most adorable foal with enormous eyelashes with um princess anne giving him a cuddle but um have you have you been in job on jobs with princess anne russell have you had much to do with her no it's funny really i mean because we're all so sort of so obsessed and um taken over with the cambridges and the sussexes and charles camillo the queen if Prince Anne doesn't really get a look in and she sort of um, operates under the radar, really. Not, I mean, she she probably wouldn't 
agree. She's always, she's always said it's sort of business as usual. And Sophie said that as well. It's just, it's just that we don't necessarily get the, the time um, or opportunity to cover them because if there's a finite number of resources, aren't there? But I think what this, the, the, the recent ITV documentary, which was fantastic, and these, um, and these pieces whether it's in Vanity Fair or Women's, Women's Weekly in Australia. The, um, I, I think that gave an awful lot of people uh, the chance to, to see the, the issues that she's always um, working with and has done for several decades. The amount that she works, I mean, people, well, lay, uh, the layman who would sort of dip in and out of royal um, coverage would, would always know the, the, the league table we do every year and the, she's always you know, at the top or near the top. Um, but it's given us a different appreciation of, of what she's like as a person. And that is very, very down to earth, very forthright, uh, great with the, the kids and the, and the grandkids. And I think that that showed an, uh, um, just a completely rounded um, individual, which was, um, which was just really, really lovely to see. I think I was just thinking if I was, uh, you know, if I was charged with setting up a royal family and needed to hire a consultant to tell me what it should be and how it should do it, I might get out on board to tell me what was going on because she knows everything. Well, she does. And, and interestingly, you should say that because in that Vanity Fair piece, which was a few months ago, which was very, very good. Um, I think one of the quotes that I always remember is that she was speaking to the, the younger generation of don't try and in, uh, don't try and reinvent the wheel. It's uh, it's been done before. Uh, we you know we've been there. Um, sorry, I've got an Amazon man knocking at my door. Bear with Ooh, me. Another paddling pool. Another paddling <laughs> pool arrives from Myers. <laughs> I couldn't get the big one on Amazon. Everyone's got it. I couldn't get that. I had to get the little tiddly one. Anyway, I digress <laughs> about my paddling pool pool adventures. Um, about Anne, she she said in that interview. Don't try and reinvent wheel. Don't try and run before you can walk. And, and maybe that was a pointed reference to uh, to Harry and Meghan. And I think it was definitely a reference to the younger members who'd spoken about. Listen, we're, I'm the old fuddy duddy at the back that we have been doing things that before you were born, Sonny. So, uh, and that is very interesting. And I think that that has come across that she's very, very experienced. She's she's painted on so many charities and good causes. She's seen the pitfalls of royal life, whether that's. Fergie, Diana, Andrew, all the you know the divorce, her own divorce, and these are the you know these issues um, are, are just very very interesting. I think, and and I would lean on her for counsel, as I'm sure um, several other members of the royal family have done. Uh, Saturday was also um, VJ Day, the anniversary of the ending of Second World War, um, mm. and we we saw Prince Charles reading from his grandfather's diaries again, which is very nice. And then obviously the kind of the solemn occasions uh, with Charles and Camilla at the National Memorial Arboretum, a message from the Queen, and then William also um, taking part in the, the ceremonial events. Yes, I mean, this was, you know, particularly poignant. The the world leaders obviously paid tribute to... To, to the commemoration of the 75th anniversary of the second, the end of the Second World War, and and, and certainly the, the royal family were were front and centre at this, as you, as you rightly said. Prince Charles was uh, at the National Memorial, and um, and also the the film involving the Duke of Edinburgh, who was who was in Tokyo at, at the at the time, and the fact that you know we've seen him a couple of times coming out of. Um, of of uh, retirement and then and people have been been loving that he looked fantastic when he was handing over the 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 reins to to camilla as colonel in chief of the rifles recently and this is um i think that this is something that you know would have become a a bigger deal across the country and indeed across the world but certainly here in the uk um if we weren't in this situation we're in at, in at the moment um which is which is quite unfortunate but it was great that it was, it was on the bbc and the royal, and the, seeing the royal family come together like that is uh, is something that we all welcome in these in these periods. And the um, the same kind of Piccadilly Circus, big up in lights area that had had the picture of the Queen on V Day and her message. It then had the kind of the veterans then and now, um, and Prince Philip was one of them. And you know, he was a very dashing young man in his younger years. Wasn't he just uniform? But um, wasn't he just? As I'm sure you know, a lot of people would have would have seen from the Crown as well, which we'll come on to just shortly. Um, but for people who are newer listeners, and there's a lot of you who have joined us in lockdown or you know other times as well but thank you very much and welcome and we're very glad to have you with us but a couple of episodes if you're interested in the royals role in sort of remembrance and and these 
these kind of things. I shared them on whether it was Twitter or Instagram, too many places to share things, but a couple of episodes you might be interested to go back and have a listen to. Um, there was one in the lead up to Remembrance Sunday last year. It's also when we talked about Angela Kelly's book, but um, had an interview with a lady from the Royal British Legion about how important remembrance and remembering is and what a big part the royal family play in doing that instead of how good they are with these veterans and spending time with them and that kind of thing which was it was a really fascinating chat with her I really enjoyed that and then also um, a curator from the Imperial War Museum talked to us earlier in the summer about the Royals' role during Second World War, which was very much in the run-up to VE Day. Um, but I mentioned the Crown. There's a couple of new castings, Russell, and I'm quite mm. excited about them. I, mean, I, I, mean, I have to confess, I don't have Netflix. I haven't watched the Crown yet. I think I'm probably saving it up to the next you lockdown. You don't have Netflix? No, I've, we've got like, we've got all of the other ones, but not the Netflix. And we've yeah. still got a lot of DVD box sets to get through. We've not touched The Sopranos yet. That's still in the cellophane. Oh, my words. I know. We did. We finished Breaking Bad, finally. We've had, we, we got halfway through this final series a couple of years ago and then for stopped for some unreason. I stopped. I stopped to like season three. Did you get through oh, it? Did you like we it? We finished it. We finished it. I'll lend you the DVDs. We've got them. I'll post them too. Very good. Very but, good. Um, no, it's good. It's good. It's a so, good big finish. You'll watch Sopranos. The Crown is good. The Crown is good. I mean, it sort of slightly tails off at sort of season three. When Claire season released? two. So when, when what? Claire, when the Queen changes or not? Yeah, that's it's a bit tough for me to take. I thought Claire Foy is just magnificent. I struggle with um, who's a very famous woman. I'm Olivia Colman. Very, I struggle with her. Um, well, I, I yeah, I like well, her in many difficult. things. I'm not sure about her as the queen. Yeah, it's but difficult. so two new names, which I think are, I mean, I think they're tremendous people. Um, so Jonathan Price is going to be Prince Philip. He was the baddie in Tomorrow Never Dies, the James Bond film with Pierce Brosnan. He he played like the crazed media mogul. So that'd be interesting. But the one that I'm really excited about because I think she is just absolutely stunning and uh, wonderful is um, Elizabeth Debicki. Debicki, yes, she's going to play Diana. So. She was in The Night Manager a few years ago. Did you watch that? There was the one with Tom Hiddleston's bum, famously. Interesting. He had a bit of rumpy pumpy, possibly with Elizabeth Bicky. I can't remember. must have been. Um, but yeah, so his, his bum made lots and lots of headlines. And then he ended up dating Taylor Swift fairly soon afterwards in that. Like, Tom Hiddleston did. Didn't he? Oh, yeah, because he had that, that he had the t-shirt. crazy T-shirt. Like, I know. Yeah. What did that so say again? Oh, I don't know. I'm with Tay Tay or something. Oh, I sweet like. Lord. Anyway, so <laughs> I can't mention Taylor Swift without giving a shout out to lovely Danielle Stacey, who we used to work with back in the day. Isn't Tom he Hiddleston? He's, isn't Tom Hiddleston playing Prince Charles as well? Oh, I'm just reading know. this now. Tom Hiddleston is the rightful heir to play Prince Charles in season five of The Crown. I mean. Oh. Who knows? Fair enough. Still- Maybe. Anyway, so if you are crown watchers, if you've been enjoying that during lockdown, you have some more crown to look forward to. And we did do an episode a while back, um, which Zoe and Lewis looked after, talking about the crown ahead of the new series. So if you are a crown fan, you may want to catch up with that. But I think our time is done. Who knows what the weather will be doing next week but we will be back here come rain or shine or lockdown as you guys well know we were talking earlier it's been a long time but we're really pleased with ourselves for managing to keep going with this all the way through it well we're going to give ourselves a little pat on the back maybe another gingerbread man but um it has been fabulous having you with us through all of it russell thanks for joining once again dan jackson in the gallery thank you for looking after us as ever and listeners you know thank you for sharing all of your comments when you support us when you you know call us to task and when you make us laugh they are all very very welcome so wherever you are santa barbara or otherwise we hope you are safe and well and until next time save the queen